Well, hello, here we are again, and passing the baton series three, number 36, and the title today is Identity and Inheritance, A Royal Calling, and the date is the 24th of April, 2010. We're pursuing our theme of living an intentional lifestyle. The church where we gather is our birthing place. It is the place of nurture and growth preparing us to be released into the work of the kingdom when we go forth in maturity, authority and power to live in the place Jesus died to give us. The inheritance is gained for us. Going to church therefore is not just about hearing a message and meeting with one another in fellowship, lovely as it is. It's the place where we're being trained, equipped and released into kingdom purposes in order that we may fulfill our destiny in Christ, which is to be like Christ. So this month we'll look at what it means to be part of his kingdom and what our royal inheritance is. Identity is linked to inheritance. We must know who we are in order to inherit. We live in two realities, the earthly and the heavenly. We are both physical and spiritual beings. It is as dust that we fulfil our heavenly destiny. Therefore we must be both purposeful and intentional about how we live our lives. In order to see who we are and our legal inheritance, we need to look first at the rights of the firstborn. Starting in Genesis 4 and going right through to the book of Revelation, I found 112 references to the firstborn. It's important for us because Jesus is frequently referred to in the New Testament as the firstborn. Hebrews 12:23, To the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven, you have come to God, the judge of all men, to the spirits of righteous men made perfect. And Revelation 1:5, Grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits before his throne and from Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth in Christ we have all the rights of the firstborn through Jesus atoning sacrifice on the cross he's raised us up and seated us here in heavenly positions because it's our right to be there and to share his place of authority and rulership this makes us people of both influence and power. You have authority. When you are secure in this, you will know that you are the head and not the tail. You will know you are called with a heavenly calling. There is a calling upon your life, a calling, a destiny and an inheritance. There are certain laws relating to firstborn males in the Bible and three things are legally true of them and because we are in Christ this applies to us as well. The firstborn automatically have the rulership, they automatically have the priesthood and they automatically have a double portion. All these things were automatic for the firstborn male. And as always, we're looking at the Jewish perspective because Jesus is a Jew. He is the Lion of the tribe of Judah. 
one of Israel's twelve sons. So the firstborn. If it was a noble family, when the father died, the firstborn would be king. Historically, the rights of the firstborn were lost by Reuben, Jacob's firstborn son, when he went into his father's concubine. Although he was due to inherit the leadership, the priesthood and the double portion, he disqualified himself. Genesis 35:22, New American Standard Bible. It came about while Israel was dwelling in that land that Reuben went and lay with Bilhah, his father's concubine, and Israel heard of it. This was forbidden in the ancient world. Reuben went and had sexual relationships with his father's concubine. This action showed that he was unstable, and at this point the arrangement regarding the firstborn was changed because Israel could no longer trust his son with the inheritance. And in Genesis 49.3, reading from the New American Standard Bible, we see Jacob's statement of what was intended and how Reuben's action changed things. Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might and the beginning of my strength, preeminent in dignity and preeminent in power, uncontrolled as water, you shall not have the preeminence, because you went up to your father's bed, then you defiled it. He went up to my couch. Jacob here states that he was his firstborn, the beginning of his strength, but goes on to describe Reuben as water. Water or sea in scripture always portrays the instability of fallen humanity. It's all over the place, unstable as water. So Reuben, taken with a whim, loses his birthright. And subsequently, these rights are split up among the sons of Jacob or Israel. 1 Chronicles 5.1 in the New American Standard Bible tells us this, Now the sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel, for he was the firstborn, but because he defiled his father's bed, his birthright was given to the sons of Joseph, the son of Israel, so that he is not enrolled in the genealogy according to the birthright. So let's break it down. The priesthood goes to Levi. From Adam through to the Levitical priesthood, the firstborn was the priest of the family. Adam sacrificed for his family, Job for his, and Noah for his. And that is the part which went to Levi. And the rulership, the scepter of power, went to Judah, from which line our Saviour and King, Jesus, was born. And we see that in Genesis 49, 10 and 11, again in the New American Standard Bible. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until Shiloh comes. And to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. He ties his foal to the vine, his donkey's colt to the choice vine. He washes his garments in wine, his robes in the blood of grapes. The firstborn rites remain divided so far as Israel was concerned until Shiloh, which is Jesus, came. 
So we have the ruler, Judah, from which Messiah will come, the priest, Levi, from which the Levitical priesthood will come, and the double portion which went to Joseph, who fulfilled it in Egypt. The double portion was provided not in order that the firstborn might indulge himself, but in order that he should make provision for his parents in their old age. So you have Joseph in that role, <coughs> excuse me, providing for his father in Egypt by God's predetermined purpose and foreknowledge. It was God's way of looking after the aged peas. God really has everything covered. And God restated parts of the law of the firstborn in the Mosaic law. He said that despite Reuben's sin, the firstborn would again receive the double portion. We see this in Deuteronomy 21.15, New American Standard Bible. If a man has two wives, the one loved and the other unloved, and both the loved and the unloved have borne him sons, if the firstborn belongs to the unloved, then it shall be in that in the day that he wills what he will has to his sons, he cannot make the son of the unloved firstborn before the son of sorry, he cannot make the son of the loved firstborn before the son of the unloved who is the firstborn. But he shall acknowledge the firstborn, the son of the unloved, by giving him a double portion of all that he has, for he is the beginning of his strength. To him belongs the right of the firstborn. Clearly then, it is by birth that you come into all of these things, the rulership, the priesthood, and the double portion. So why is it so important for us? One Peter two nine again in the New American Standard says this but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. And Colossians 1 tells us that Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. Colossians 1, 15 to 18. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will have to first place in everything. In Jesus we see the restoration of the original pattern. Jesus re-establishes everything. He restores what Adam lost and what subsequently Reuben lost. He's called the firstborn. He was the firstborn of Mary. He would have come into the double portion when Joseph died. His spiritual double portion is the Old Testament believers and the church. He walked in the Garden of Eden. That means he has rulership of the entire created realm, angelic or natural. 
In him all things were created, and if they were created by him, he had to be the firstborn, because it's all his, and he has the high priesthood after the order of Melchizedek. So we are in him, and everything that applies to him applies to us. But let's just have a couple of scriptures about the high priesthood. Uh, one from the Old Testament and one from the New. Old Testament first, Psalm 110 verse 4 in the NIV. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. He is the great high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. Hebrews 6.10 sorry Hebrews 6:20, where Jesus has entered as a forerunner for us having become a high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek he's got the rulership back the priesthood back and the double portion back he not only has the old heaven and earth but Revelation 21 tells us he gets new ones where Adam gave away the title deeds to the earth, Jesus has won them back. Revelation 5.1, New American Standard Bible. I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a book written inside and on the back, sealed up with seven seals. If you read on, no one was found worthy to open this book or scroll. Why is that? Because it is the earth's title deed and only Jesus can open it because he fought and won back the title deed to the earth. Adam lost our rulership and government over the earth. Jesus wins it back. Man was created to subdue the earth and have rulership over it. In Jesus this is restored. So when Jesus came, he restored these rights as a man, because a man lost them. We will look further at that when we look at Jesus the man, but for now it's sufficient to know that all this is ours in Christ Jesus. We have been plunged into the body of Jesus Christ. That means we come into the fullness. We have an identity and we have an inheritance. He is the head, we are the body. We are in rulership in Christ. We are priests in Christ and we have the right of the double portion. Romans 8.29 For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. We are predestined to this, to be conformed to his image. Whether you believe that or not, one day it will be so. It's your destiny, beloved. Everything on this earth is training for reigning. How you shape up here governs your territory there. God is always about territory. He is the one great territorial spirit. Right now, 
we have the rights of the firstborn. We need to stand in this place that he has won for us and learn to live there. Because 1 John 4.17 tells us, As he is, so also are we in this world. Our delegated authority. Let's talk about that. It's your inheritance, beloved. It's your birthright to walk as he walked and do the same things he did. The church is your training ground to go out and do the things he did. It is your destiny, your inheritance, to bring heaven to earth. That is why he taught us to pray, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When Jesus departed, his last words to his disciples were what we call the Great Commission, to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, healing the sick and casting out demons. He was giving us delegated authority to continue his work on the earth. When you have delegated authority, you move within that authority and expect to see the same results. It's the Father's intention that his will be done on earth through us as it is in heaven. It is as dust that we will fulfill our heavenly calling. We're on a journey of discovery, both about ourselves and God. We're finding out what it means to live an intentional lifestyle towards him. And some of us may be discovering the inborn, innate and inherent resistance which we have to being obedient to the call of God on our lives. As we strive to make the choices that will have eternal value, there is conflict. We're coming up against our silly selves. There's a war between the old man and the new. And you get to choose which one will win. You get to choose whether you live a supernatural lifestyle or not. Every one of us is building in one way or another into the next generation, whether it's with our children or those around us or where we work. We are all leaders of one kind or another, leading others into something. People around us are influenced by what we think and say. The question is, what are we leading them into? A deepening awareness of the God we know and have experienced for ourselves? Or are we showing them the form, the ritual and powerlessness which results from a religious experience and the odd warm fuzzy with no real testimony to the power of God to change us. Are they drawn by what we display or are they repelled? Are we living a life characterised by the power of God? Do we expect things to happen when we seek the Lord and pray? Are we culturally relevant in order not to offend anyone? The one we follow offended religious people all the time. Beloved, we're a counterculture. We are not meant to be the same as the world around us. We are priests and kings. 
we have a royal calling and we must begin to step into this and act accordingly. There should be no one who surpasses us in forgiveness, love, grace and mercy, kindness and gentleness, care and concern. People should connect with the love of God through us when they speak to us in ordinary, everyday conversation. We are coming into a time when the world will never be the same. Men's hearts will fail them for fear. We're in the beginning of the end. It's not the end, but it is the beginning of the end. The whole heart of the incarnation is about heaven coming to earth. How much of heaven can you bring to earth before you die? We must know both our identity and our calling and the times and the seasons. It's time for us to wake from our slumber and become all that Jesus won for us on the cross, to be a power for good in the earth. So it is essential for each one of us that we have a right view of God, that we live in such a way that he has to show up to sustain us, to keep us going, that we cannot live without him, that we become so utterly dependent upon him, we cannot live without staying connected to him. He's our life. Colossians 3, 4 tells us this, when Christ, who is our life, appears, we will be like him. As we become increasingly aware of the fact that God has intentionally loved us and is totally intentional towards us, the power of this love leaves us in a state of continual awe and amazement because it carries with it authority, influence and privilege far above our ability to comprehend. This is not about the acquisition of this world's goods. This is about living in Matthew 6.33. New Living Translation puts it like this, Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. As we live in this way, we develop a glorious inner strength simply because we are in Christ and he is in us. Our language changes and we find we cannot speak of him without using superlatives. Our faith level and confidence rises and we begin to believe we are all he says we are, the glorious companion of an incredible king. We are his gift to himself. They are mine. Jesus deserves us. He paid for us. And we are worth the price he paid. He says so. His blood bought us. It's all about what he has done, beloved. It's all about the blood. The bride price has been paid. And we are brilliant because he says so. So settle it at the front end. You are dearly loved and accepted. You are brilliant. 
sin is dealt with and righteousness is being restored. Sin is never an issue. The issue is always about you learning to walk in righteousness. And he always speaks to how he sees you, to your potential, not to your failures. God never meets a negative with a negative. That brings condemnation and it's the work of the enemy. When God points out something he wants to change, he always shows you how. It's all about your cooperation with the Holy Spirit, beloved. When the Father looks at the Son, he sees you. You are accepted in the Beloved. You are in right relationship with the Father. Nothing you do or say will ever change that. You are in. Your job now is to learn how to be the Beloved of God and bring heaven to earth. Hard, I know, but there it is. Someone's got to do it. As we learn to live in the awareness of the extravagant love God has for us and his favour towards us, we recognise that we are God's gift to himself and that he is our source and our all-sufficiency. We revel in it, joyfully loving him with the love he gives us. He calls us to see the invisible and do the impossible and we embrace the challenge to rise up to all that he requires us to accomplish on earth as it is in heaven. Brilliant. The flip side of all this is if we reduce Christianity to religious form, ritual and head knowledge, if we have a form of godliness and deny the power, if we reduce it to what is humanly possible, we will live dull, boring, predictable and ordinary lives. We will be fearful and anxious about the same things the world is fearful and anxious about. We will be lukewarm and powerless, storing up little or no treasure in heaven. We'll lose our ability to be astonished and amazed at what God's doing around us. We won't see it and we will not realise that we are meant to be partnering with him in a most exciting lifestyle, a supernatural lifestyle. The disciples had the same problem and we see it after they, Jesus had fed the 5,000. Mark uh, 6, 52 in the New Living Translation says this, for they still didn't understand the significance of the miracle of the loaves. Their hearts were too hard to take it in. The disciples have just seen 5,000 people fed, but they've missed the point. When Jesus broke the bread and the fishes and divided it among the 12 disciples, it did not multiply until it was in their hands. And subsequently, Jesus says, their hearts are hardened, they're full of unbelief. They didn't see beyond the miracle of provision to the fact that Jesus was giving them the task of performing the miraculous because their hearts were hardened. He was holding out delegated authority to them but they missed it and now here they are in the middle of the lake in desperate fear again. 
Miraculous provision is there that we might not only see the miracle but see beyond it to what God is saying. And in these days he's saying, you do it, you do it. And beloved, we have got to start somewhere. If we are at this point where our hearts are hardened in unbelief, we desperately need to repent, to change our minds, to have another thought and reconnect with him afresh so we recognise our identity, inheritance and calling and comprehend we are his people, blood-bought, called out, set apart, separated for his divine purposes. A people of promise and dearly, dearly loved with a brilliant future and a job to do. Each one of us should be determined to pass on the torch to those who come after us. No matter how old or young we are, none of us know how long we have. We must be in the moment with God and teach others to live the same way. The world has a story and a journey defined by the flesh and the devil. Our journey is defined by who we are in Christ Jesus. As our forerunner, Jesus broke into the world's story from heaven and made it his own. At the incarnation, he became dust like us in order to reconnect with his creation. Jesus totally identified with his creation, with us. He was the first fruits to himself and when he went back to the Father, he empowered a company of people to keep the story going while he directed the strategy from heaven and provided the resources. He calls that company of people his church, his bride. Unlike the world's story, this story leads to a journey of astonishing love, amazing mercy and outstanding grace. It's a story full of remarkable goodness and powerful loving kindness, matched with miraculous acts of compassion and all the signs and wonders of heaven. God hasn't changed and the good news is exactly the same. It's the news that makes people marvel. It provokes amazement and astonishment. It's the good news of an unchanging church following in the footsteps of an ever-present God. That's a paraphrase, that latter piece. Um, of the introduction to a set of CDs by Graham Cook entitled The Church has, has Left the Building. For some of us, it hasn't yet. Identity then. And quoting here again from Graham Cook in January this year, your identity is what marks you out in the spirit as being different from other people. Your identity is what sets you apart for a particular purpose. It's the well-defined parts of your calling. It's where you are worthy of special attention and affection from God. It doesn't matter what is against you. It only matters who is for you. Your life situations cannot shut you down. They cannot close off your anointing. They cannot prevent you from overcoming in this place. 
even if you can't overcome in another. Our primary identity is that of children of God and if children then sons. Galatians 4 6-7 in the New American Standard says this, Because you are sons, God has set forth his spirit. I'll start that again. Because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. And Ephesians 1, 4-6 tells us this, for he chose us in him before the creations of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves. So be loved, beloved because until we discover our identity in Christ, we will not fulfill our destiny or come into our inheritance. Before he created anything, you were chosen holy and blameless, predestined in love to be a son of God and an heir of all that heaven can allow. That gives you a pretty broad field to work in. Our primary identity is that of a much-loved child and God will continually establish us in that. He will take you deeper and deeper into his great heart of love for you. When we fail to believe what God says about us, that we are his children and heirs of his promises, we will always condemn ourselves. We do it to ourselves. We belittle ourselves. Unwittingly, we give the enemy ground in our lives. Beloved, get this if you get nothing else. The one who knows you best, loves you best. Don't paint yourself into a corner. Don't you do it. Keep yourself in the love of God. God loves me, so what does this mean? I'm a child of God and an heir. What does this mean? Discover who you are in Christ and live there. We're all on this journey into the heart of God. Every day he's showing you more of himself. Every day you are coming nearer to his dream for your life. God has given you a hope and a future. He gives you hope in the present because he has a future for you. His plans include who you are going to become. If you don't have specific prophet, prophetic words over your life, the Bible tells you who you are to become, a fully mature son, huios of God, one who can hold daddy's checkbook, do the things that Jesus did. Romans 8:19. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. All creation out there is waiting for us to rise up to the place that Jesus has won for us on the cross and to liberate it. 
God has spoken this word over you and he's about to put it into practice because he relates to you through the word he's spoken. So you need to start becoming this now. God wants us to have influence with him. That's the position in which he places us. Amazing, astonishing, I know, but that is the fact of the matter. He wants you to have influence with him. He wants you to have favour, influence and authority. He wants you to become a son and come into your inheritance in Christ. And that inheritance is to be like Christ. Your favour, influence and authority are already there. So what are you going to need to change to become the person God sees? What character must you develop to step into this? Ask him what the present implications are of the future hope. What are the implications on my character and personality? He's begun a process with you. You don't want to fall short of his dream, his vision for your life. 2 Peter 1.3 New American Standard Bible says, His divine power has granted to us, has, it's been done, everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. Beloved, we've got the goods. You have a heavenly calling, a royal calling, but it has, is as dust that you will fulfil it. We put our feet in two places at once. We are both heavenly and earthly at the same time, born from beneath and born from above by the Spirit of God. 1 Peter 1.23 New King James Version Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. At the moment of our rebirth, we were born again from above, heavenly, of incorruptible seed by the sperma, the seed of God. Our old way of life was done away with. We are now heavenly beings in an earthly body. This world is not our home. We look for our heavenly abode. We are strangers and aliens. We're entering a season where God is inviting us to enter fully into our inheritance, to take our place in the heavenly realms where he's seated us, to stop praying like a widow and begin praying like a bride. Ephesians 2, 5 and 6 tells us this even when we were dead in our transgressions God made us alive together with Christ by grace you've been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that's identity now let's look at an inheritance Isaiah 61, 1 and 2 in the NIV says this, headed up the year of the Lord's favour. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, 
to proclaim liberty for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. This is the mandate the Father gave the Son and it's repeated in Luke 4, 16-18 when Jesus began his earthly ministry. And in Mark 16, 15 to 18, he gives us our mandate. This is the NIV. He said to them, Go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptised will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands, and when they drink deadly poison it will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on sick people, and they will get well. We are called to inherit a kingdom. We are called to dominion under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Luke 12.32 confirms this. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. He's not only restored Eden to us, but has placed us in a higher position than Adam. We are in Christ, seated in heavenly places. The resources of heaven are at our disposal. We won't need them when we get to heaven. We need those resources now. Absolutely key to understanding and moving into this is how you see God, who he is for you personally that which you know by experience, not that which you know by book learning or someone else's testimony. What you think about God is the most important thought you will ever have in this life. How you see him is the most important thing in your life. It will drive everything you are and do. Our picture of God must be drawn and redrawn until it dominates our thinking, until we are super saturated with the knowledge of the kindness, the goodness, the love, the faithfulness, the generosity of this great God whom we say we serve and whom we call Father. A right understanding of his nature and character are imperative, beloved or we will hobble through life, retaining ungodly mindsets and perceptions about his intentions towards us. God is good. He's good. He's good. And how you see him will radically affect how you see yourself and your identity in him. If you're in ministry, it will be the wellspring of your ministry and service to the body of Christ. Without a correct view, you will bring people, do not bring people into their inheritance, regardless of your gifting, because you will reproduce yourself and not him. We reproduce after the same seed. The heavenly-minded Christian will seek to reproduce Christians who are heavenly-minded and will point to Jesus. The earthbound Christian will inevitably re reproduce Christians who are earthbound and narrow in their thinking and perceiving. 
So what you think about God is the most important thing in your life. God builds his church on the image of himself that we allow to be sown into our hearts. So what are you presently allowing him to sow into your heart? Are you allowing him to have access to that place? Or is your well stopped up, full of other things, so that he's no room to present himself to you? God works by displacement removing the things that are unhelpful to our progress from our lives and filling them with a revelation of himself. He then builds on that personal revelation of who he really, really is and what he is really, really like. So another question. Is your revelation of him flawed today? What image, what picture do you currently have of God? Is it based on how your natural father was towards you? If it is, you may see your heavenly father as being distant and unattainable, unloving, rejecting and critical, or even worse, abusive. So is your picture of him due for an upgrade? Do you need to redesign, reform how you see him? We desperately need to know him as he truly, truly is, beloved. Our future depends on it. We cannot come in to the wonderful things he has for us with a skewed representation of his nature and kindness and intention towards us. In that classic passage in Matthew 16, uh, 13 to 19, Jesus asked the disciples a question. Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. I say also to you that you are Peter and upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. Jesus is not having an identity crisis here. He's seeking to find out who the disciples think he is. And we talked about this last month. He refers to himself as son of man and he gets four different distorted answers from them. Some say you're John the Baptist, others you're Elijah or Jeremiah or one of the prophets anyway. He presses the point, but you, who do you say I am? It's always that question, who do you say I am? And on Peter's response, he says something amazing. He says, I will build this thing called church on the revelation Peter has received from God the Father about who Jesus is. So what you personally think about God is the single most important thing in your life. 
because it is upon that personal revelation of himself that God will build and give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Without that personal revelation, you'll have no keys, no influence, and you will be earthbound in your thinking and rational in your perceptions. The supernatural will remain a mystery to you. We are people of dual nationality. We hold a passport in two different worlds. We have an earthly personality and a heavenly persona. Who you perceive God is for you shapes your truest identity, how you are known on earth and the spirit in heaven. We are people of dual nationality. We've got this earthly passport and a heavenly passport. We've been born from beneath as dust and born from above as spirit and we are known and live in both realms, placing our feet both on the earth and in heaven at the same time. It's in our personality that we're mostly known on the earth and in our persona that we are known in heaven. And on the earth, in days, on days, we operate both in our personality and our persona. If you're in ministry, you'll step into how you are seen in heaven when you stand before the people you speak to, to bring the word of the Lord to them. Generally, it would not edify them to hear you in your personality any more than it would edify you to hear me in mine right now. It's in our earthly bodies that we fulfill our heavenly calling. We are known by name in heaven and hopefully we are known by name in hell. We have two relationships with God, a general one and a specific one. They're different and cause us to stand in two completely different places. We go from Abba, Father, from Daddy to Papa and sometimes it's Dad, I need some help. And other times, here I am, Papa, what are we doing today? With the Father in one relationship, we stand as a much-loved child. This is like our default position. In the other, the particular call of God on our life, our service, our ministry, is how he wants to be seen in and through us. This is our working relationship. So we have an intimate father-son, father-child relationship, and our working relationship. What you're currently apologising to God for is what he's doing in you. What you're praying about is what he's doing through you largely. Again you need to be aware of both or you'll speak out over others what he is doing in you. There's a primary and a secondary call on our lives. Our primary call is to love the Lord with all our heart, soul, mind and strength and our secondary call is to love our neighbour as ourselves. We're called into the family business. Father wants us on his team. This means we have both an intimate family relationship with God and a working relationship. And the working relationship flows out of the intimate relationship. You cannot have the position of power, influence and authority without first having an intimate family relationship with the Father. Ministry flows from intimacy, not the other way round. He calls us into partnership in the Gospel. 1 Corinthians 3.9 For we are God's 
fellow workers. There are no shortcuts and we need to know who we are both in both realms and in both relationships. We're all on this journey so we need to progress and process what God is doing in our lives right now. We're not meant to be static, sitting with our bags packed waiting for the rapture. We have a job to do. God desires to fulfill his kingdom purposes through us as surely as the devil desires to fulfill his purposes through us. This is why developing the ability to walk after the spirit and not after the flesh is an imperative for us. We cannot serve two masters and all day, every day, we will be serving one or the other. <clears throat> it's our choices that govern where we place our feet at any given time, which kingdom we are walking in. How you are known in heaven, how heaven views you, is your spiritual personality, your persona. It's how God sees you when he looks at you in Christ. He will not speak to you about your identity, your inheritance or your destiny outside of that position in Christ. He doesn't speak to your frailty, your inability, your flesh, your weakness, your inadequacy, but to how he sees you. Therefore he always speaks prophetically and everything is doable. Brilliant. Brilliant. And the call of God on your life will introduce you to your persona. God called Abraham a father of many nations when he had no children. Moses was called a deliverer when he'd murdered an Egyptian and run. Gideon was a wimp in a winepress when God calls him a mighty man of valour. Deborah becomes a prophetess. Esther in captivity becomes a queen. God speaks to what he sees, not to what you see and not to what you are right now, but to what you are becoming and will become if you cooperate with him in the process. In order to live in this place of significance and power, you have to call yourself up to a higher place. Because there is a place in God, in Christ, set aside for each one of us in the heavenly realm where we have a superior position, where we have a higher position, elevated status. This is where all our permissions and provisions are, where we are highly favoured and God gives us legal authority over the enemy, a right to rule and permissions to overcome. He gives us legal authority to rule and establish peace. We begin to both declare and proclaim into the atmosphere how things are going to be on earth. On earth as it is in heaven. It is the place of your truest identity. A place of power, of influence and of authority. <clears throat> 